How many of you are willing to be the subject of your own experiment for the sake of science? Some of us, maybe, but most of us, probably not. This is the story of Dr. Barry Marshall, an internist, and his colleague, Dr. Robin Warren, a pathologist, both from Australia. Dr. Marshall and Dr. Warren would eventually win the Nobel Prize for discovering Helicobacter pylori, or H. pylori, a bacteria that we now know causes gastritis, peptic ulcer disease, and predisposes to gastric cancer. But it wasn't always this simple. In the 1980s, many people still believed that peptic ulcers were results of stress. But Dr. Marshall and Dr. Warren thought differently. After many experiments with mice, they came to believe that it was H. pylori that was causing ulcers. Even better, they thought, because it was a bacteria, antibiotics could cure the illness. It was a hard sell. So to prove his point, Dr. Marshall cultured H. pylori from an already afflicted patient, stirred it in broth, and drank it. You can guess what happens next. Today, our patient has a GI bleed, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is on GI bleeds, entitled, When the Pipe Bursts. GI bleeding refers to a loss of blood from anywhere along the GI tract. In contrast to a chronic GI bleed, acute GI bleeds are sudden and onset and result in overt bleeding. It is important for internists to be able to effectively diagnose and efficiently manage GI bleeds as they are potentially life-threatening emergencies. GI bleeds are classified into two groups, based on the anatomical location of the bleed. Upper GI bleeds refer to bleeding from a source proximal to the ligament of trites. The ligament of trites is also known as the suspensory ligament of the duodenum and denotes the duodenal-jejunal junction. Unsurprisingly, lower GI bleeds refer to bleeding from a source distal to the ligament of trites. Upper GI bleeds can present with hematemesis, coffee ground emesis, or melina. Brisk upper GI bleeds can also present with hematochesia. Common causes of upper GI bleeds include peptic ulcer disease, esophageal varices, erosions, Mallory Weiss tears, and malignancies. Patients with upper GI bleeds are more likely to be hemodynamically unstable and have an elevated blood urea nitrogen level. Patients with lower GI bleeds can present with hematochesia or bright red blood parectum and tend to be more hemodynamically stable. However, large lower GI bleeds can also lead to hemodynamic instability. Common causes of lower GI bleed are diverticular bleeding, hemorrhoids, anal fissures, angiodysplasia, colitis, and malignancies. All right, so now that we've talked about the basic classification and causes of GI bleeds, let's talk about the approach. The first step when examining someone with a GI bleed is to assess if the patient is hemodynamically stable or not. Signs of clinical instability that you might see in a patient with a GI bleed includes tachycardia and hypotension, or altered level of consciousness. 
Initial steps to stabilizing your patient with a GI bleed includes initiating cardiac and respiratory monitoring. Maintain your patient as a nil status or NPO status and elevate the head of the bed to avoid aspiration. It is also important to establish IV access, and ideally, the patient should have at least two large bore IVs or a central line if peripheral access is not possible. If your patient is showing signs of hypovolemia, such as tachycardia and hypotension, fluid resuscitate your patient with 1-2 to two liter boluses of crystalloid solution. Obtaining blood work, including a blood group and screen, a CBC, electrolytes, creatinine and BUN level, INR, and liver function tests is also an important initial step. Also order a 3-view abdominal x-ray if perforation is suspected. There are a few things to remember in the setting of brisk upper GI bleeds or acute GI bleeds. First, brisk upper GI bleeds may present as bright red blood per rectum because of the quick transit time. Second, patients with acute GI bleeds may not present with anemia immediately. This is because they lose hemoglobin in proportion to plasma, and thus the measured concentration of hemoglobin may at first appear normal. With further iatrogenic volume resuscitation, their anemia will only become more profound and potentially symptomatic. Therefore, it is important to have routine CBCs throughout your treatment to ensure that a patient's hemoglobin is stable. Lastly, a key to helping you diagnose upper GI bleeds is the BUN to creatinine ratio. As blood sits in the gastrointestinal tract, it is broken down into its components and more urea is absorbed into the circulatory system. Furthermore, poor renal perfusion from intravascular depletion because of the GI bleed may also increase your BUN to creatinine ratio. The higher the ratio, the more likely the bleeding is coming from an upper GI source. A blood transfusion should be initiated in any patient with GI bleeding who is hemodynamically unstable, regardless of their hemoglobin level. Also, prophylactic intubation may be required to protect the airways if your patient is hemodynamically unstable, it is important to also consult your gastroenterologist to determine whether an urgent endoscopy would be appropriate in this setting. GI bleeds are tricky because it is important to stabilize your patient before moving forward with any of your history and physical. Unlike many of our other clinical scenarios where you have time to assess the patient first, sometimes patients with GI bleeds can become quickly hemodynamically unstable and it's important to have all of the tools in hand, including IVs, oxygen, and monitoring prior to starting your history and physical. This is important to remember whenever you are asked to assess a patient with a GI bleed. Now, once you have stabilized your patient, gather a focused history and perform a physical exam. Important questions to ask include history of previous GI bleeding, peptic ulcer disease, cirrhosis, previous endoscopies, abdominal surgery, or family history of gastrointestinal malignancies. Also ask about NSAID use, antiplatelet medications, anticoagulants, steroids, and alcohol consumption. Ask always specifically about aspirin use. Elicit details about the patient's symptoms, such as time of onset, amount of bleeding, abdominal pain, and type of bleeding, such as hematemesis, melina, or hematochesia. In addition to reassessing your vital signs regularly, the physical exam should include volume status exam, abdominal exam to assess for tenderness, masses, hepatosplenomegaly, and any extra hepatic signs of chronic liver disease, 
a digital rectal exam should always be performed to assess for blood in the rectum or Molina's stool. The number one cause of death from GI bleeding is actually myocardial infarction. Therefore, a cardiorespiratory physical exam is important, and consideration should be given to appropriate cardiac history, including chest pain or shortness of breath, or signs of congestive heart failure, cardiac monitoring, ECG tracings, and a troponin level in any patient with cardiac risk factors. Now, you've finished your history and physical, and you suspect your patient has a GI bleed. So you'll want to ensure that your patient gets the appropriate management. Now, throughout your treatment, it is important to continue to reassess your patient for hemodynamic stability, level of consciousness, and airway protection. Remember that patients with GI bleeds can have rapid shifts in their hemodynamics. Now, in any patient with a GI bleed, you should start proton pump inhibitor treatment. The initial bolus dosing of pantoprazole is 80 mg IV times 1. Then, you can start either a pantoprazole infusion at 8 mg per hour or at a bolus dosing of 40 mg IV BID. These two doses have been shown to be non-inferior in terms of therapy. If your patient is known to have liver cirrhosis and you suspect a variceal bleed, IV octreotide and prophylactic antibiotics should be ordered. Just like pantoprazole, octreotide has a bolus dose of 50 micrograms and then is run on a continuous infusion of 50 micrograms per hour. Ceftriaxone is dosed at 2 grams IV daily. It is important not to forget your antibiotics in patients with liver cirrhosis, as it is the one therapy that has been shown to have a mortality benefit in GI bleeds. Remember to hold antihypertensive, diuretic, and anticoagulation medications until the patient is hemodynamically back to the clinical baseline and the bleeding has been controlled. If the patient is hemodynamically stable, consider transfusing blood to maintain a hemoglobin level above 70 grams per liter or above 90 grams per liter for cardiac patients. Of course, these transfusion targets are simply suggestions and may require adjustment depending on the individual patient's circumstance. If the INR is elevated, say greater than 1.5, consider administering vitamin K and or fresh frozen plasma and or prothrombin complex concentrate depending on your facility's availability. Also consider reversal agents for the direct oral anticoagulants, if applicable. The role of endoscopy in GI bleeding depends on the type of bleed and patient stability. For suspected upper GI bleeds, an esophagogastroduodenoscopy, or EGD, is usually performed within 24 hours of presentation to diagnose the cause of bleeding, stratify risk of re-bleeding, and potentially treat underlying pathology. For lower GI bleeds, colonoscopy is the initial examination of choice for diagnosis and treatment, although a flexible sigmoidoscopy is an alternative in certain patients. Okay, now, time for our medicine minute. The glasgow Blatford score can be used to triage patients with GI bleeding. The score is based upon a combination of eight clinical features and investigations, including the blood urea nitrogen level, hemoglobin level, systolic blood pressure, heart rate, presence of melina, presentation with syncope, history of liver disease, and presence of heart failure. A total score of zero is considered low risk. Any score higher than six is associated with a greater than 50% risk for requiring intervention, such as transfusion, endoscopy, or surgery. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled When the Pipe Bursts on GI Bleeds. 
This episode was written by Dr. Cindy Law, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Eric Greenwald, gastroenterologist, Dr. Daniel Brandt-Vegas, general internist, and Dr. Amna Ahmed, general internist. This episode was recorded and produced by Allison Lai. Music production by Lakshman Vizantha Mohan. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and is managed by Leah Karianopoulos and Zara Morali and is overseen by Dr. Daniel Brent-Vegas. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit us at theinternetwork.com. This is The Internet Work and please tune in again soon.